Well, here we are. A mass of Myers, a bunch of Beesons, a flock of friends, and all the known Coles. Here we are. You know, we learn so much from all of these people, all of these families, but, you know, most of all, I think we'd say we've learned from our parents and our grandparents, those who've gone ahead of us. And if you don't think so, I'm going to share 50 things your parents probably said to you and tried to teach you, and I'm going to do this in two minutes or less. Are you ready? You better change your tune pretty quick or you're out of here. I mean it. Is that understood? Don't shake your head at me. I, can, I can't hear your head rattle. Don't mumble. You act like the world owes you a living. you got a chip on your shoulder. You're not going anywhere looking like that. You're crazy if you think you are. If you are, you just try me. I don't know what's wrong with you. Other kids don't pull that stuff. I wasn't like that. What kind of example do you think you are for your brothers and sisters? Come on, stand up straight. Don't slouch. Would you like a spanking? If you'd like a spanking, just tell me now. We'll get this thing over with. You're cruising for a bruising. I'm your father, and as long as you live in my house, you're going to do as I say. Do you think the rules don't apply to you? I'm here to tell you that they do. Are you blind? Watch what you're doing. You walk around like you're in a daze. Something better change and change fast. You're driving your mother to an early grave. This is a family vacation. You're going to have fun whether you like it or not. Take some responsibility. Pull your own weight. Don't expect other people to pick up after you. And don't ask me for money. What do you think? I'm made of money? Do you think I have a tree that grows money? You better wake up. And I don't mean maybe. Do you act like this when you're away from us? We've given you everything we possibly could. Food on the table, a roof over your head. Things we never had when we were your age. You treat us like we don't exist. That's no excuse. If they jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff too? You're grounded. I'm not going to put up with this for another minute. You're crazy if you think I am. If you think I am, you just try me. Now, don't you look at me that way. Look at me when I'm talking to you. Don't make me say this again. How much of that was familiar to you? Now, we can kind of laugh about that, but we all know that the Lord placed us in community with friends and families and in marriages, other kinds of relationships. And we're in this all for a purpose. And while we can certainly share many reasons for these purposes, why we are part of all the known coves or why we're a Beeson or a Meyer or just a part of the flock of friends, uh, today I want to focus on just one thing. And that is building and leaving what I would call a living, loving, lasting legacy. So I would ask the question, what should be our family or our marriage or our friendship legacy? What shall we leave behind? There's a Bible passage I'm going to kind of tie in here. It comes from uh, the book of Psalms. And David wrote this. He said, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised for his greatness is unsearchable. And then this key verse. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. It goes from one generation to another generation. Now many of you could trace your Christianity. Maybe you're just the first generation Christian. I don't know. Maybe everybody before you had nothing to do with the church, but maybe many of you probably have had Christian families. You can trace them back to the day of Jesus or maybe to the day of Adam and Eve. I don't know. So what kind of legacy do you intend to leave to those people 
who are following you. And the question is, will that legacy that you leave be a lasting legacy? Will it be imperishable? Will it be eternal? Uh, or, or will you leave behind only tangible things like buildings and money or possessions? And by the way, Eric, Cheryl, Terry and Josh, you're getting nothing. <laughs> oh, right. Josh wanted to be remembered in our will. Hi, Josh. <laughs> That's actually in my part of the will. Now, Paul instructed a young guy by the name of Timothy to live, invest his life in faithful people. And for well over 50 years of my life in ministry, I've tried to invest my life in people who would in turn be able to pass God's truth on to another generation. And even though Eric and Terry sometimes felt like they were raised by wolves, <laughs> Mom and I, honest, I, I tell you, honest, Eric, honest, Terry, we really tried hard to raise you guys the right way. <laughs> you were just so hard, though. <laughs> and then came Josh, and oh, gosh, what are we going to say about Josh? You know, we tried so hard. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, but, you know, I, I would hope that someday you'll look back and say, Mom and Dad, you didn't do such a bad job. You gave us a foundation to live on. But where does God want us to invest our time that you've been given? You know, whether it's between you and your mate, you and your uh, children, or you and your friends. Now, I actually tested this sermon out about three weeks ago. I was uh, teaching in uh, Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola. It's the largest maximum security prison in America. And I didn't, I was teaching the book of Acts. I didn't realize I also had to preach at night at some of the, at the uh, fellowships. And so I very quickly wrote down what I was thinking about doing here. And so I tested this on about 150 inmates. <laughs> A real captive audience. And so I got you here today too. Now I've tweaked it a little bit, but I, I took the word legacy, L-E-G-A-C-Y, and I want to just give you a few thoughts about the legacy that I think you ought to be passing along to other people. Now, sometimes you're going to be passing along to people that you hardly know. I kind of practice in Branson what I call coffee shop evangelism. I go, I get my cup of coffee, I sit there, I listen, and if I can enter into that conversation somehow and maybe ultimately bring Jesus into that conversation, that's okay. That's a little bit of legacy that's being passed on. But more often than not, it happens in the church. Sometimes it happens between husband and wife. Sometimes between grandparents and grandson. You know, whatever. Now I'm going to start with the letter L, and I'm going to very simply say, love the Lord and love his word. I mean, that's a great place to start. In Luke chapter 10, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, your, your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Now, I love my wife, but I don't love her near as much as I love the Lord. Does that sound odd? Because he says, put him first. But as you listen to the passages that Eric and Cheryl read before, if you put God first, it makes loving other people a whole lot easier. I love his word. Somebody asked me one time, or somebody asked a friend of mine one time, is your pastor a biblicist? And I'd never heard that word before. And he said, what do you mean a biblicist? He said, well, I want to know, does your pastor love the word of God? So, yeah, I'm a biblicist. I love it. 
My wife knows that I spend a lot of time preparing messages. I spend a lot of time in the Word. You know, when you're going to teach the entire 28 chapters of the book of Acts between 9 o'clock and 3 o'clock in prison, you better have studied the Word. But I love the Lord, and I love the Word. As Psalm 119 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than... That vanilla honey latte you had this morning, Eric, courtesy of your dad. <laughs> See, I am a good dad. The letter E, and this is to encourage the lost and equip the found. Do you know lost people? I met a young high school student quite by accident at a coffee shop. She asked me what I was doing. I said I was reading a book. And when I told her it was a Christian book, she kind of grunted at me. And I asked her what she was doing. And she said she was writing her senior paper for high school. And I said, what's your senior paper about? She said, it's about my life so far. And I said, how old are you? She said, 17. I, 17 years your life so far. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Get to be my age and see what that's like. And so I said, so what's your life been like so far? And she said, well, after thinking, it sucks. Isn't that sad? Lost person. Now, I asked her if I could come over to her table and help desuckify her life. I had to make up a word. And she gave me five minutes and I shared something I call the divine plan and helped her find a church, not the one that my wife and I go to, but one I knew she'd like. And I've run into her a few times and she's gone to that church and she's met other students from Branson High School. So you're encouraging lost people. You're pushing them in the right direction. At the same time, you equip those found people. That's your responsibility too. People that are Christians, they need to be encouraged as well. The letter G is to go to the Lord daily, and I would say, and often in prayer. First Thessalonians says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I preached a week ago in northern Illinois, and my sermon was called Mountain Moving Prayer. It's based on that scripture where Jesus said, If you say to this mountain, be gone, and be lifted, and go into the sea, It'll be done for you if you pray that in faith. Now, I have, in 72 years, I've never seen a mountain get tossed into a lake or in an ocean. I have not even met people who have ever spoken to a mountain. They're probably locked up somewhere. But what is your mountain? We all got them, one kind or another. Have you spoken to that mountain? A lady one time when she told me that she had just contracted cancer, she said, after doing this, she said, my prayer changed. And I said, cancer, I'm talking to you. And I'm talking to you in the name of Jesus Christ, who has the power to be driven out because he is Jehovah Rapha. He is the God who heals all diseases. She said that entirely changed her prayer life. Go to the Lord daily. With the Lord begin thy task, Jesus will direct it. For his aid and counsel ask, he, Jesus will perfect it. I can't believe I just quoted a Lutheran hymn. 
what happens when you get old. You start remembering. See, John, you'll remember this later. You won't remember it right now, but when you're my age, you go, oh, I know those last verses to Amazing Grace. <laughs> and how many times do you just have to say a prayer? And I'm not talking about come Lord Jesus before you eat. But how many times do you just say, Lord, have mercy? Lord, guide me. And I'd say if you say things like that, Lord, guide me or Lord, bless, that you would actually finish that sentence. Lord, guide me. How? God bless my son and his wife. But how? God, I want you to bless Joshua. But this is how I want you to bless him. The letter A is abide and present. I couldn't think of the second A word there. Uh, but this is a phrase that I learned from a wonderful man. He was well into his 80s. He's very uh, kind of one of the founding people of Young Life. Uh, Will Wyatt is his name. He passed away this spring, and I got a wonderful chance to meet him this last year attending a Bible study at College of the Ozarks. But that little phrase has just stuck with me, to abide and present. John fifteen seven. many of you know it. it. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish will be done for you. You know, that Christ lives in us. He abides. He, this is his residence. In fact, I've thought about this many times. If this is God's residence, then this is God's mouth. Does that change something? It means that what comes out of this mouth ought to be what God would want to come out of this mouth. These are God's hands. These are God's feet. But we abide and then we present. There's an old Christian song that says they'll know we are Christians by our love. There's a story about a seminary student who went to work in a logging camp up in the Yukon one summer to earn some money. And when they got back, he got back, uh, they said, what did the lumberjacks think of having a pastor, a training pastor working with them? And he said they never caught on. That's kind of sad, isn't it, that people wouldn't know that you're Christ follower. He lives in you. You live in him. You just present. Well, the C was pretty easy to come up with. And that's just Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Hopefully you share that with people that you love, that you care about. I mean, John 14, 6. It's a, Jesus is talking really after a funeral. And, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. About three weeks ago, I preached at uh, Redeemer in Springfield, Missouri, and I was supposed to, my topic was, is Jesus really the only way to heaven? <clears throat> so I'm going to reenact my entire sermon right here. Friends, my topic for today, as you can see on the large screens behind me, is this. Is Jesus really the only way to heaven? Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. I know no other life, to be quite honest, in 72 years. I wouldn't trade my life no matter what happened along the way, because Christ has always been a part of it. And I continually pray that it remains part of Eric and Cheryl's life, my wife's life, Josh's life, Terry's life. 
even as you probably do for so many people. The letter Y is, uh, sometimes you've got to really search hard for words <laughs> when you decide to like, but it's yoke. Yoke yourself with other godly people. And I think this weekend, this is exactly what's happening. I mean, I'm looking out at you guys, and I mean, I've preached to a lot of different people. I've preached to Zulu tribes in South Africa. I've preached to Russians and in Russia. I've preached to people in India and Kazakhstan and, I don't know, Haiti. And I don't even know where I've all been anymore. But there's nothing like walking into a group of believers. It's just something special. Something special. I mean, it's really cool. You know, before we got going today, what did we do? We got together, the Meyer Band, once we could find David. (laughs) And Eric and Cheryl, myself, and we prayed. But, you know, it it was just something we knew was going to happen. Because these are godly people. You've probably heard it before. You can't soar like an eagle if you hang around with turkeys. I mean, there are some people that I know in my life, they're joy suckers. They can suck the joy out of you from a hundred yards away. (laughs) Stay away from those people. (laughs) Yoke yourself with other godly people. When I was confirmed in eighth grade, and I knelt in front of Pastor Heidemann at St. John's Lutheran Church in Seward, Nebraska, he put his hand on my butch-waxed flat top. That'll take some of you way back. (laughs) He gave me my confirmation verse. And my confirmation verse has stuck with me for all these years. It's Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. I can tell you at the time when he said that, I thought, I think he's talking about some of the friends I hang out with. Now, when I use that Bible passage in prison, some of the guys, they nod because they know exactly what I'm talking about. Because they walked around with wicked people. And when they got done walking, what did they do? They start standing with them. And the next thing you know, they were sitting with them, plotting all kinds of things. But now, so many of these guys, you know, we estimate like 2,200 out of the 6,000 guys in prison are born-again believers. Who now, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. So what kind of legacy are you going to leave? How about one that everybody knows that you love the Lord and His Word? That you're the kind of person who would take the time to encourage the lost and then equip the found? Who would go to the Lord daily and often in prayer, not just for yourself, but for so many other people. And then learn to abide and present. Because you know that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And then hang around with some really great people. Yoke yourself with other godly believers. Well, we're also going to yoke ourselves together in a slightly different fashion. It's called communion. And I don't know if you distributed these already. You might as well do this while I'm talking. Otherwise, it's going to look kind of funny. I'm just going to stand up and they're going to have to stare at me. (laughs) But in communion, uh, you have that word union in it. And this is where we kind of come together. 
And I'm going to ask that you just hold off on these until you get further directions, and I'll tell you exactly how we are going to commune this morning.